We are in 1 Kings chapter 11, and uh, we're talking about how God keeps His Word. Is that good news? God keeps His Word? I don't know. It just kind of depends, doesn't it? It just kind of depends. We usually think of uh, this as a great thing. God keeps His Word, and we can... So you get, like, I was visiting with the Fergusons in the hospital, and a family member brought them a book about all of God's... I think it was them. All of God's promises, this book. And I don't even know how you would... would pull out the promises of Scripture and put them in a separate book. I don't even know how you do that. Some of those you don't recognize what they are, but it's just a book full of God's promises. And I think that's interesting, right? And we know this, that God's made a bunch of them. And tonight and this week and this moment that you live, you are depending on some of them. God doesn't lie, and when he issues his word, he absolutely will not revoke it. He will stand behind it himself, and you can know it. So you... You are people tonight whose sins are forgiven, right? Your sins are forgiven, and you know that because God promised this so. You are a group of people who look forward to the resurrection and life in the new heaven and the new earth, correct? Right? You know this? Even, and you know this even about loved ones you've lost already. You know this, and the reason is God promised you. And the entire thing hinges on the words of God, and if the words of God aren't reliable, then... Wrap it all up where you need to leave and go somewhere else. And you can know even right now, you are living a life pleasing to God. Do you know that about yourself right now? Oh, come on. Do you know that about yourself right now? You know God is pleased with you worshiping Him tonight? You know this. And you're dedicating this week to the whole week of living a life pleasing to God. And you know that because God tells us. But here's the other side of the coin. Maybe along with that book of God's promises, we also need to pull out his warnings. Because God also warns us, doesn't he? And God stands behind those too. And those people right now in our world who just question God because of hell, the concept of hell, it's God's idea, y'all. And Jesus speaks about it, and the Scripture has abundant discussions about hell, about the fact that if you choose not to respond to God, well, here's the option. And listen, if God is faithful in His promises, He's also got to be faithful in His warnings, right? I mean, that's just kind of the deal. It's, you can't have one w- without the other. Solomon learns that in 1 Kings, and that's what we're talking about tonight. I don't really like this lesson. It's Disappoint. Next Sunday, next Sunday night, listen, be here because we're going to do an autopsy of Solomon's faith. What in the world happened? What was the cause of death? And I'm going to tell you, it, it, it just gives you this, this trajectory of where Saul went wrong. Saul. Solomon went wrong. Starting out strong and ending up, I'm not sure where he ended up actually. What in the world happened to the old boy? Because this is what happened to him is happening to a lot of American Christians because our American setting is very much like Solomon's. And so we're going to be looking at that, and I'm more excited about that one than this week, but this is important. We're in 1 Kings, and last time we were here, we were in chapter 10, so you can look back at chapter 10, Queen of Sheba stuff, right? God was very, very, very generous in keeping his promises to Solomon. He was David's son. And, and since he made great promises to David, he kept them through Solomon. And then when he said, you can have anything you want like a genie in a bottle, and he says, I want wisdom, and God says, I'm pleased with that. I'll give you wisdom, and I'll give you riches, and I'll give you fame, and I'll give you long life. So God blessed him abundantly. 
He kept that promise to Abraham, for, to, to David, to Solomon. And he's kept some pretty amazing promises to us too, hasn't he? Are you blessed? Do you know where those blessings come from? Do you know where every good and perfect gift comes from? And do you know that your life is full of it? And do you know, do you know it's more than you deserve? How many would say you've been blessed more than you deserve? Raise your hand real high. Yeah. Our God's been good. Not just good, abundantly good, beyond what we can ask or imagine. But God isn't just about blessings and gifts. He's also about discipline, and Solomon knew this. We're going to look back at the promise, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And your days are fulfilled, David. Talking to David, Solomon's dad. You lie down with your fathers. When you die, I'm going to raise up your offspring, Solomon and others, after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he will build a house for my name. So Solomon built the temple, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father as I have been with you, he says to David, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, does, does God already know he's going to mess up? When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. Now, he's, he's making a promise here, and this is supposedly good news, but this sounds like the bad side of the good news, doesn't it? When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. I'm not going to do to him what I did to Saul. That's, God is limiting himself, and you know what? Solomon's going to be worse than Saul isn't he? And yet I'm not going to just yank this out from under him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is what he speaks to David. And David tells Solomon about this. And there is great good news in there. But there's a little warning about this. He's going to go wrong a little bit. And I'm going to have a rod, you know, spare the rod. This was not a timeout machine. This rod hurts, y'all. Now, I'm a little uncertain about this. Do you know those people who, I'm going to punish you, but there's, I'm not going to punish you as far as I could? Because he says to David, I'm going to punish him, but I will not take the throne away. There's a certain line I won't cross no matter how bad he gets. God is really taking a risk here about what's going to happen. Now let's look at the interaction when Solomon comes on the scene, 1 Kings chapter 3. God said to him, this is Solomon now, not David. This is the son after David's gone. Because you've asked this for wisdom and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, none like you shall arise after you. He's going to be the wisest king who ever lived. I'll give you also what you have not asked, riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk, ooh, here's a condition, you get the if, you know, when he hits if, it means some of this depends on you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. If. So in this amazing grand promise of God, there is a condition included in here. He doesn't go on to say, but if you don't, I will. He doesn't, but he throws that conditional word because there are some ifs about your um, walk with God, isn't there? 
This is a very good thing for Solomon, though, here in 1 Kings 3. Everything's going well, and it boosts his confidence. But God wants to remind him of something and warn him a little bit later in chapter 9. This is a progress report. As Solomon builds the palace of himself, but also the temple of God, the Lord says to him, I've heard your prayer, that grand prayer at the dedication of the temple. I've heard it. I've heard your plea, which you've made before me. I've consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. As for you, if, he says it again, he's saying, it's like, let me just remind you, if you walk in my ways. Before me as David your father walked with the integrity of heart, with uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, this is not an unconditional promise here, Solomon. If you turn away from following me, you or your children do not keep my commandments, my statutes that I've set up before you. Go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I'll cut off Israel from the land I've given them. Now, the throne may still be occupied by a child of David, but I'm going to cut off the land. I'm going to take away some of those promises. It's not an unconditional total promise here. This is, this is conditional. The house that I've consecrated from a man, I will cast out of my soul. I'll, I'll take this, this grand thing that you just built, and I will tear it apart, and I will promise you there won't be one stone on another. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And Jesus said that himself. And everybody who passes by will do that sound. So sad. It's almost like he already sees Solomon drifting a little bit because at the time, he's, right after he builds the temple, he also builds his own palace and he has a special house or special room for this Egyptian woman. He has married to form an alliance with the Egyptian king and already God's going, ah. I'm pretty sure this book was written, 1 Kings was probably written at a later time than these events actually took place. And I can imagine, I want you to just pretend a second, you're in captivity. The temple's destroyed now. You're off in Babylon somewhere, and, and, and you're reading scriptures. you got 70 years in captivity to do some things, and you're reading the scriptures that you have in your synagogue. It's probably where the synagogue originated from because they didn't have a temple anymore. So they're in Babylon, and they're, they're getting together, and they're reading, and they're reading these passages to Solomon. What do you think they're thinking about themselves? We're in captivity. We've been, the temple's been destroyed. This description right there has become real for them, these captives. And they're, they're looking at this, and there's a lot of people in captivity, we're told, who are blaming their parents. It's because of what our parents did that we're here. They're reading this, and they're going, you know whose fault it is that we're in captivity? It's our own. Because we did exactly what he warned Solomon not to do. And now years later, no, it's not Israel anymore. Now we're the church. Does God still warn and discipline us as his children? Does he still do that, or is that like an old thing? We'll look at that in, in a second. Solomon's bopping along. Chapter 10, I said, was where we left off. And he's been blessed abundantly. But as grand as the blessing is in chapter 11, we read of a total impressive collapse. Everything goes south. Now the warnings bubble up. 1 Kings chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. 
along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite women, Ammonite women, Edomite women, Sidonian women, Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither they, neither they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away from me after other gods. He's doing exactly what God said not to do. Solomon clung to these in love. I love that. That's usually a good expression, cling in love, but it's to the wrong people. 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father, which is what the condition was. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess. Now not only is he going after foreign women, but now he's worshiping the gods of these foreign women. He's adopting their way of life. So Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, he went after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, did not wholly follow the Lord his, as David, his father, had done. And then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh. So here he is worshiping even another god, Molech of the Ammonites, on the mountains east of Jerusalem. So he did this for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their god, and everything collapsed. And everything goes bad after this. God comes after him and explains it. Notice as we jump into verse 11. The Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you've not kept my covenant, my statutes that I've commanded you, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. We'll give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, who I promised, I will not do it in your days. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. This is a weird concept. I want you to see this happening in other kings too. Solomon may take a breath and go, I won't see it. It's one of the sickest attitudes you could ever see. Hezekiah is given 15 extra years. You remember that? It sounds like good news. But he does something unfaithful in that time. And Isaiah has to tell him, because you did this, the kingdom's going to be stripped, but it won't happen to your time. And you know what, you know what Hezekiah says? At least I won't have to see it. My grandkids will have to do it. Oh, my goodness. Is that all you're concerned about? Is a comfortable your life? Do you not want a church that's faithful to follow you for your grandkids? You hear Jeff talking about his grandkids. You didn't hear it in early service. He was kind of warring against somebody else. He was kind of bragging that, you know, the great grandkids of, you know, the Phipps, they're okay, but they're not like my grand. It was an ugly scene, really. Surely you can't tell me you're not concerned about the climate of the church for your grandkids, will you? Solomon, it won't happen to your lifetime, but it's going to happen. I'll give one to another Israelite. What happens after this is God raises up adversaries, and all of a sudden, the peace of Israel is messed up. You, you see, in verse 14, he raises up Hadad, a foreign, to start being just a pain in his side, and he raises up Rezin in verse 23, being a pain in his side, and then he raises up another Israelite in chapter 30, or verses 31 through 39. God's just saying, hey, I'm, and here's the saddest part of the whole thing. When God tells him, I'm going to do this, Solomon doesn't go, okay, hold on just a minute. I'm sorry, I repent. Nope, if that's, well, it's just the way it is. Sorry, and he goes on. He can't even repent anymore. And who does that remind you of? Saul. He can't even repent now. 
We'll be talking about that more next week. It reminds me a little bit of this weird scene right before Jericho. And you may remember, I don't want to put that on there yet. Don't put that over there yet. So Joshua chapter 5, he's, a, he's on the cusp of going to Jericho to fight, and he finds this strange character, the commander of the army of the Lord. Do you remember this? He's got to take his sandals off. We're talking Joshua now. And Joshua says, let's see if you know the answer to this. I know Randy does. I'm, I'm ready for Randy's voice, okay? Really, I am. I'm not complaining. He says, whose side, Joshua comes up to this magnificent being and says, whose side are you on, ours or theirs? Does anybody remember the answer? Neither. I'm on the Lord's side. The question's not whose side am I on. The question is whose side are you on? And if if you're on God's side, I'll help you. But if you are not on God's side, I'm against you. And that's the way God is. God's on his side. God is on his side, and he's faithful to his purposes, and he wants his people on his side. But his people don't just get to claim God unconditionally. We can't do that because we serve a fiercely independent and holy God that we can't even comprehend. And that's where, go ahead, yeah. No, I'm not on your side or their side, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. That's why I've come. So here's the moral of the story. It seems to me from Hebrews chapter 12 is a little bit of this. Uh, I think I put it on the screen. It is for discipline. You have to endure. God promises two things. God promises great blessings for his people if they obey him. And God also promises that in your life, I'm going to allow things into your life. This is not a causative text. Don't read Hebrews 12 and say, I'm causing all sorts of havoc in your life just to get your attention. This is not a cause issue. This is a what do you do now issue that God does. I'm sovereign in your life, and things come into your life. Things are allowed into your life. I'm going to allow the trouble and the hardship. There's going to be some. And surely I don't need to remind you of Valley View here that our lives are not going to be all sunny and roses all the time, even when we are faithful walkers with God. We're going to face these things, every one of us, and we're going to put each other's names on prayer lists. We're going to fight with each other, fight for each other uh, through prayer, not with each other in prayer. Don't fight with each other in prayer. Fight for each other in prayer. But he says, uh, this is another side of God's promise. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not true sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Eventually... Shall we not much more subject, be subject to the Father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. God disciplines us for our good, that we can share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God promises us there's going to be difficulty and hardship in your life. And I'll be here for it to be a growing experience for you. When you get to the other side, you will be more righteous than you ever have been. This is a promise from God too, but we don't really like to think of it as a promise. But that's what Solomon needs to learn. When things are well and God blesses you, great. You can claim those promises of God you hear the TV preachers talk about. But God also is very honest about the other stuff. So let's conclude two or three things here real quick as we wrap up. God's word is absolutely true. It's true blessing-wise. 
instruction-wise and warning-wise. When God speaks in His Word, He ever lives to make sure He can back it up. The only one to ever write a book and live forever in light of it. So, we have the blessing of salvation if you repent. If you are immersed and have your sins washed away. That's great blessing, a great blessing of knowing that God is going to continue blessing us as people. We also have the warnings of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you live in these ways, and he gives this whole list of, if you live in these things, you won't be in the kingdom. Or Galatians chapter 5, same thing. You live by these works of the flesh, and that's characterizing your life. You will not be, right? So th- that's true too. You got to take it all. You cannot pick and choose. You cannot Thomas Jefferson the New Testament. Cut out what you want and get rid of the rest. It's all true. Second, we should be grateful then because God doesn't just bless. He blesses abundantly. And because of that, you come up on the hill on a Sunday night when you could be doing a lot of other things and you give him your worship and you give him obedience and you give him appreciation and you serve him with joy. Which is what Solomon did for a while. If all hardship is discipline, we need to be receptive from learning from all the difficulties of life. Be receptive to Hebrews chapter 12 being true. There will be hardship and difficulty in my life, and I'm not going to spend my time wondering, did God cause this? or is this some? No, don't, don't do that. What you do is, what am I going to do with it? God says he allows it for our upbuilding. And so if you trust him and you, and you trust what his word says, the good and the bad, you're going to look at that and say, I'm going to trust him. And part of that is repenting, which Solomon could no longer do. May we always be able to. So here's a question. Here's a question. I, I got a, a trailer for next week, I think, is the next thing, right? For next time, autopsy of Solomon's faith. We're going we're gonna to tear him open and look at what happened with his faith. Okay, that's going to be fun. But here's the, the message for tonight. God keeps his word. Is that good news or is that bad news? The answer is, depends on how you're living. It just depends on how you're living. Because while we serve a loving God, we also serve a holy and fearful God, correct? Right? It depends on how you're living. So tonight, the question that you ask yourself is, if God really keeps all his word concerning me, is that good tonight? Or is that bad tonight? And only you can answer that question. But if if tonight... It's bad. You've never responded to him. And God tells us if you never obey the truth, you'll die eternally separate from him. It's bad, but in a flash, it can absolutely turn around. We don't believe in karma, even though some of us Church of Christ people live like we do. Like I've got to live enough good to offset my bad. That has never been the Christian message. Never. 
That is not good news. That will never be good news because we can never do enough good to offset our bad. Okay, so that's not, here's the good news. The moment you turn back to God, He is there to receive you with full atonement and forgiveness. So in an instant, on a dime, things can change. If the answer to that for you is, this is bad news, change it to good news by repenting of your sin. And if you've never responded to him, by all means, become a child of God. Name the name of Jesus as your Savior and be immersed. And make sure you leave here. Somebody can say, was that good news or bad news? You can say, oh, that was all good news. As we stand, as we sing to encourage you.